Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel, our look at uh, 3CR's look at uh, Australian film industry. And today we're going to be looking at a film that's going to be shown on ABC on the Sunday the 3rd of it. February at 7.40pm and the reason for why we're highlighting is it because it's uh, to mark the 10th anniversary of the Victorian Black Saturday bushfires. You probably It's one of those dates that you probably remember what you were doing on that day because it was such a scary and unbelievable sort of natural event uh, and uh, the program that's on is Aftermath Beyond Black Saturday. It's a sort of mem- remembering but it's also about how to actually move past such a troubling event and we've got the director in the studio, Tony Jackson. G'day Tony, how are you? I'm very good, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah and uh, we're uh, going to talk to you not just about uh, the uh, aftermath beyond Black Saturday, but we're going to talk about you yourself as a filmmaker. And I noticed because of your accent that you're slightly British. I, I'm, well, I'm actually 100% Australian, but yes, I was born in Britain and I do sound a bit British. Oh, is that right? But I've been here, I, I was the last of the £10 poms, so I came here in 1983 and I was the last one of that kind of wave of migration that brought people out from England for a tenner. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that and um, I didn't realise it went on that long. Yeah. Uh, so that's sort of interesting uh, in itself. But uh, And making a film, tell me about your filmmaking background. Um, well, I started off as a as a cameraman when I was very young, eighteen in Brisbane. Um, so you always wanted to be a cinematographer? No, I wanted to mix music, and I just ended up in TV by accident, and then and then it became a passion after that. But originally, it was I started off as a sound man and and wanted to mix bands, and then ended up kind of tumbling into camera and then into directing um, and then producing as well. So you you are usually uh, work in small crews. Uh, yeah, often we work in a small crew of maybe sort of four or five people on the ground, but also I've done huge productions of sort of 70 people as well in the past. Oh, really? I've, I've done a lot of work in telly, um, and late, I started off in documentary as a director and then did a giant slab of about 15 years in telly. By telly, I mean, you know, making travel shows for Lonely Planet and things like that. And then recently, in the last sort of four or five years, I've returned to documentary with a vengeance, really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, having a good run of, you know, really good content of which Aftermath was, uh, you know, a special film to be allowed to make. 
Yeah, so uh, you worked uh, Renegade Films. That's a local production company. They're the ones who decided to make this. Yeah, so Renegade uh, gives it some context. Uh, excellent local production company. Been around for a long time. They make Rockwiz, but they also make um, they made Inside the Firestorm, which was a documentary that came out. Um, a year after Black Saturday, and, it, and um, it's an award-winning film. It's a fabulous film, very long feature documentary. It was on ABC, and uh, that forensically unpacked everything that went on on that day. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it was an incredible kind of record, um, something that will live in national film and sound archives for you know forever, basically. Yeah, it was very frightening business, the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, but, and then what happened was with the 10, 10th anniversary coming up, they um, a woman called Karen Kerno, who's an author, uh, who also lost her house in the fires at St Andrews on Black Saturday, um, she was kind of exploring the idea of a book, and she still is, about recovery from trauma. Um, and she contacted Renegade and said, hey, you know, what about following up on some of the people in your original film and seeing what their journey's been since Black Saturday um, and, you know, how they've managed to kind of incorporate those the horrible things that happened on that day into their lives. Um, and that started a conversation with ABC and they were like, you know, that sounds like a fabulous thing to do to mark the 10th anniversary, to check in on everybody and see how they're going. You yourself were actually um, personally I was, involved in well, I wasn't, the in Well, I was in Castle, by personally involved. I mean, it affected you. Oh, it affected me, definitely. And when I was asked to make the film, I, it didn't take any time to say yes. On the day I was in Castlemaine and the fires came very close to Bendigo and skirted the edge of Bendigo and we were all very nervous. It was an extremely hot day and I was... It was a very strange day. It was a really strange, evil day. I was. I had my three daughters and we were in the Castlemaine Reservoir and we were sort of sheltering and neck deep in water just trying to escape the heat and the winds were going 100 miles an hour one way and then 100 miles an hour the other way and fire trucks were constantly at the reservoir just pulling water out. And it just one of those days you just knew something wasn't right and it and, and it wasn't going to end well. And I ended up, I'm one of those, it gives me the chills a little bit. I ended up sleeping on my rural block of land, which is heavily wooded. I've just naivety, really. I should have driven back to Melbourne. Um, thankfully, nothing happened. But it's, you know, there's no logic sometimes in people's kind of knowledge base varies so wildly about what to do. You know, and at that time, I was a good example of the of ignorance, really. Um, well, you know, a lot of people died that that day. Yeah, yeah, definitely, 173 people. Yeah, exactly. Well, over the course of the events, yeah, yeah, which is a pretty stunning sort of statistic, really. And I, I guess that in a way, uh, a, a chilling sort of uh, reminder is the huge fires in California, where they were just recently. Yeah. Where, you know, it's a sort of a similar event. But your film is um, Aftermath Beyond Black Saturday. must have been quite difficult to make because really you, fo- you started off focusing on how to deal with uh, that, such a big traumatic event. Is that what you decided that the reasoning behind making this was? Well, we, it became apparent after talking to Karen initially that, you know, the day and all its trauma and violence and you know, all the terrible things that happened. That's like, that's one frantic, awful day, but that was really just the start of a long journey that people are still on. 
So, you know, the initial idea was to kind of, you know, make a film that starts Sunday and, and you know, when you wake up and see exactly what has gone on and what you've lost, whether it be property or loved ones, um, what people you know have lost, you know, like there's all sorts of different varying levels of trauma. Just even having your house standing and your neighbours not standing is its own particular brand of trauma. Um, and and you've, there's a sense of guilt that you feel. So there's all sorts of complex emotions that people feel. Um, and it was an idea of, of moving on. And initially we thought, let's not have any fire in this film at all. Let's just start Sunday and move on. But it became like really clear that we needed to show at least a small section early on in the film of, you know, the terror in order to understand how people have responded to that. Um, people respond in you know, a variety of different ways. So we picked six people from the original film. How um, did you choose? Uh, well, it was a mixture of people that their stories resonated with us, you know, um, and, and and then the practicals, people who were happy. So and, did you start, I mean, you, you, you said six, but did you actually choose more and then try to, and found out amongst, say, you had 10 or 15, and then you tried different ones to see who were going to be available and, and prepared to? Kind of. It's, Is that it, what happened? It's kind of arbitrary because you've got an hour. So, yeah. you know, it depends what you're guiding principles for making a film is I wanted to get to know certain characters so it was important that we didn't have by characters I mean participants well no no exactly but, but um, you're making a film so this yeah is, but, and it, that's but what they're we're real discussing. people it's always real like, oh, we've got to check myself and not call them characters because they're participants they're real people they're not actors in a film so it was important for me to keep that number down because I wanted to get to know them. If you have like 12 people in your film, you're, you're spending two or three minutes with them. Well, no, that's not possible. You know, because you, you actually do have an arc for each of these people in this film. Yeah. Yeah. So we like, we like to return to them and, you know, have a start, middle and end with each character. So did, 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 did you have uh, a certain range of uh, uh, questions like if you were doing a Vox Pop, you'd have a, a similar questions that you're going to ask a group of strangers uh, for responses so that you could build your narrative that way or did you do it in another way? Did they suggest the narrative, as uh, it were? Well, it's funny because we did write an awful lot of questions and, and it ranges from um, questions that are kind of generic to the experience to questions that are very specific to their individual story. So you did I'd, a lot I'd, of research? A hell of a lot of research, yeah. Uh, and I think, to me, as far as making a film goes, it, it kind of lives or dies in the research with the documentary. So, um, yeah, we had an uh, excellent research team. Miriam Kenter, who um, who ran that research team, and David Collins did some work as well. Um, and, yeah, so we, we kind of knew a lot before we went in there to, to talk to them. Because it'd be dangerous not to, especially when this Well, situation... I'd advise anybody making a film... Not, yeah, but it's not, not just that. It's, it's very emotional. Also. This is very emotional material. No, totally. And, and, and so, consequently, we'd sit down and start an interview and I wouldn't look at the questions for 25 minutes. So we'd, we'd get engaged in a conversation and we just rolled. It just rolled. And, and uh, I, think, I think it was partly... The fact that it was 10 years and uh, for many people it, a lot of this stuff had been put in a box, an emotional box, and, and kind of put aside and they got on with their Because we're talking about people who lost partners and children and, I mean, very yeah, extraordinary actually to be walking and talking 
again, really, because that's what this film's about. It's about being a, a, a dealing with a traumatic event and then still be walking and talking and living a life. It's about finding a way back to yeah. living a life. I mean, you know, we all, I think a good reason to make this film and to watch this film, it, it, you're always in that situation if you lose your daughter or your son, you know, how would you, you just can't imagine the idea. I mean, I've got four kids. I can't imagine the idea of uh, a bushfire taking one of them. Um, so to be able to go in there and to discuss that and just see that people have such amazing ways of being able to get through that. And, and you know, you, they don't get over it in any way. You know, they just, they kind of process it in multiple different ways. It becomes enmeshed in their existence. Yeah. It becomes part of their story. And I think the people that we spoke to that seem to kind of find a way to recovery or some way close to recovery are the ones who've kind of accepted the events and what happened into their life story in some way and have kind of processed it and made it part of the tapestry of who they are. Those are the people who seem more um, more settled with the events and what happened to them. Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. Setting Sun Film Festival is calling for entries for their festival at Sun Theatre Yarraville from May 2nd to May 9th, 2019. Organisers are looking for short films and features that tell a great story, amuse, entertain, inform and wow. All genres are welcome and submissions are due by the 31st of January. For more details about the 2019 Setting Sun Film Festival, head to settingsun.com.au, a 3CR supporter. Hi, my name is Rolf de Heer. I don't live in Melbourne. I live across the water in Tasmania. But if I did live in Melbourne, my number one radio station would be 3CR because it's about community and community matters. And you're on 3CR, as Rolf de Heer has reminded you, and community does matter. Uh, you're on Show Real with Annie and we're talking to Tony Jackson. He is a filmmaker who's made a film called, a documentary called Aftermath. Beyond Black Saturday. It's going to be showing on Sunday the 3rd of February at 7.40pm on ABC. And of course you can get it on iView as well, ABC iView. And uh, it's all about uh, 10 years after the incredible uh, Victorian Black Saturday fires, bushfires. And uh, Tony, you were saying that uh, you did an awful lot of research then you sat down with people. You had six participants. Uh, I'll have to say that uh, some of the stories uh, were just extraordinary. The fellow who uh, uh, went in after the event and uh, walked through uh, the devastated landscape, his journey was actually extraordinarily compelling. 
Yeah, that was um, Cliff Overton, who was a CFA volunteer. Um, and, and as he explains in the film, he didn't actually um, see any action, for want of a better word, on Black Saturday. He was involved in logistics back at the office. But on Sunday, he led all the um, first responders into the fire-affected areas um, and basically was faced with you know unimaginable sites that nobody really wants to see which triggered you know a big battle with PTSD for for Cliff um which he struggled with for many years um and um yeah it's really affected um his work life and home life for a long time and 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 he the story with Cliff is about how he kind of fought his way back and and he got involved in a in the memorial tree the blacksmith's tree yeah the art it's art that brings people back art symbolism um when you talk to psychologists so the you know the symbolism remarkably is something that people can latch onto. it might be like a little rock a symbol that they can just go you know that this tree this iron this steel tree is something i'm gonna focus on and it can help, I guess, in a, some sort of... Sort medicine. of breeze poetry into... Uh, and also... Uh, meaning. Your meaning, yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's separate from yourself. Like you've given... Almost like a gift, I guess. Yeah, plus, you know, just even on a brutal level, he loved beating the crap out of metal. Um, That's right. Yeah, when he was obviously That was feeling... a very clever idea. Who came up with that idea? Do you oh, know? Oh, God. The, Amanda, somebody... Sorry, the name escapes me, but it's a, a young lady. If you Google it, the, the blacksmith's tree, um, you'll... you'll See, so it's, um, it 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 uh, combines poetry and symbolism and brute force. Yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah. it was a clever idea in one pill. Yeah, um, yeah. So for for Cliff, that that was not everything. I mean, he went through a, oh, lot, no. a lot of other psychological and emotional support. Um, but you know, Cliff's story kind of underlines the diversity of uh, post Black Saturday problems really i mean um you know his was a first responder story so he was about those people who ran towards the horror the next day in order to you know try and help and do something about it um and uh yeah so he was he was our kind of examination of the effects of ptsd but we also had in there you know the 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 flip side to ptsd which is uh rarely talked about which is post-traumatic growth um, that was very interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, it is interesting. And, I, and it wasn't something that I was familiar with before we started research in the film, even though now I see it everywhere. It's like, you know, it happens like that. But, um, yeah, the idea that, you know, that trauma, loss, grief, any of these things can can have a flip side, like a silver lining. And, and it's an, it's kind of a awkward conversation to have with people particularly if you've lost loved ones Um, it's better to actually talk uh, uh, people it's like when people die people cross the road and don't want to talk to somebody who's had this uh, but actually learning how to sit and listen is a very good thing no it's true it's true but with post-traumatic growth I think it's the timing of when to you know when to kind of discuss the idea that you might have grown from this and that might be that you're just more empathetic you're more philosophical it could be anything i mean you know uh, people end up joining you know working for the community doing things that they didn't do before so they end up having a life that they didn't have before and that's a, an element of of growth yeah because in in a sense uh it's uh, there's lots of things you discuss in this film 
uh, because uh, people can feel survivor's guilt, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's a really real um, concern. But uh, when you talk, uh, you went to the young man who's... Uh, but he, he, you know, he he thought he was going to stay. He was going to look at, uh, you know, save the place. But he ended up in the dam and uh, was very lucky to survive. He yeah. he thought, like his wife thought that uh, she'd lost him, and uh, all it's incredibly traumatic story, really, for that entire family. But he's a young man that um, who he, Jason, he, Jason, he, yeah. a very very important uh, story that to choose to do that story because uh, he actually says that. I'm now philosophical. Before I wasn't. He was always in the moment. Yeah, he was. And he's much, I don't know. I mean, I don't know Jason before no. um, before uh, we filmed with him, but I get the sense um, from what he shared that he, that he has a much deeper kind of philosophical understanding of life now. Um, and that, I guess that's what happens when everything you own is taken away from you. I mean, thankfully, Jason and his family didn't have, didn't lose anybody within their family group. There. No, so the, the, and as the wife said, I never take anything for granted now. Yeah, Nothing. but they but they did lose their house, and and I think you know from talking to a lot of people, I think people who've been through it, whether they've lost children or houses uh, or whatever, they I think there's a, a distinct kind of ambition not to have a league ladder. To, to respect. Well, is that what my woman said? Who lost an awful lot of her family? Well, but uh, yes, exactly. It's, but you don't want to. You don't want to win this race. No, you don't want to dismiss <laughs> dismiss somebody who's just lost a house. I think it's easy to go in and go, "Oh, you're still alive. It's okay." But it's traumatic for people to lose their houses, you know. So you have to look at that in isolation and just accept that that is an incredibly traumatic experience. It's not just losing houses; it's losing everything, your entire existence, everything that your you identity. Built. Yeah. So you, you end up with no mobile phone, no passport, no driver's license. No photos. No nothing, no photos. You're no just, past. You're just standing in ash, thankfully, with your family if you're lucky. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's important to just recognise that there are different levels of trauma and loss and grief. Um, well, one of the things that came out of Jason's story, which I thought was uh, his story just seemed to me like he, he it was a really nicely put together piece because over the... Um, duration of the film it's almost like bits of him are put back together mm -hmm. and the importance of community support people mm -hmm. supporting him directly even down to as i know as i noted because i do a program that's focused on unions and workers that the etu sponsored his <laughs> um race uh, car, race car yeah. and he wore a T-shirt and, uh, you know, an uh, electrical trade union's T-shirt. Well, that's a bit of detail even I missed. Oh, well, that was... I will it. notice that forever in it when I watch this <laughs> film now. <laughs> but it, it's quite clear that uh, it, all these people have been very, responded to his need. It gives people the opportunity to express their humanness. That's what I'm getting at, I guess. Yeah, no, I, th I think... I tell you, there's one absolute in this film, and that is everybody express the same sheer gratitude for how the country responded yeah nobody questioned australia's response to helping them they were all overwhelmed with with how much people stepped up to the plate to try and get them back on their feet everybody said that without fail and on a on a kind of smaller more 
kind of closer to Jason's story, you know, his his Speedway community. It's interesting that the the fact that it, they were in the middle, they've lost the house, they're standing around in ashes, and his Speedway mates got him a new car. His his you know Ruth, his wife's going, I want a bloody house. I don't want a car. I want a house back. But you but that's what you, they could do. That's what they could do. But it's important, I think. When you talk to psychologists, they say the same thing, that it's important that you get something back that's important to you. If you're a musician, get a guitar quickly. Mm. You know, you need something of your self back because if you just launch into the practicals and just start building without addressing what emotionally is going on in you and you've lost all of your identity. So getting that Speedway car back at the time might have seen, you know, even Nothing. jokingly selfish or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It was actually acutely sensible for him to have that element of his old life back, something that he could hang on to and go, yeah, this is a bit of the old me. And then that can help him kind of deal with the huge amount of work they've got to do in order to you know, sweep away all the ashes and build a new house. It's a big journey, this film. Uh, it's worthwhile having a look at it. It must have been a big journey for you. How long did it take to make? Uh, well, it wasn't as long as usual films because it was just practical kind of commission condensed because by the time we see condensed because it was like, go and do it. It was like, go, and we, we only had six months to make it, um, which, you know, still a decent amount of time to make a film. But but still, uh, it, it actually makes it excitingly uh, immediate, I yeah, thought. it was immediate, and and it took some. It took me getting match fit. I did. I think I underestimated how emotionally affecting. Yeah, the, I think the it is emotionally. I've done it emotionally affecting watching it. Yeah, no, the result is emotionally affecting. But just even just selfishly on a personal level, when I first started interviewing people, I found it exhausting. Yeah, and then after about two or three interviews, I got I got up to speed and 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 started to settle into the this new place I was in where I was kind of dealing with these narratives. But, yeah, the first couple of days I was I was just flopped into bed at the end of the day, emotionally kind of knocked about by having relive all these moments with these people. And I felt like that it was brilliantly timed for the people there. I didn't feel like ever like anybody was reluctantly talking to me. It was important to them to talk to. Yeah, and I think that really comes across in the interviews. People, it was just... Damn good timing for or something. Well, it's know. an anniversary. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is that can that can create a fatigue. So you know, I think there's a sense of apprehension, apprehension towards media around the anniversary, um, and we kind of got in there early, thankfully, because uh, uh, there's an apprehension. But it's also an extended conversation, and it's a positive step. It's not like a grueling going through the terrible nature of the event, it's actually about, uh, it's like what the bush does when there is a fire. You, like when uh, they had the earlier fires, uh, all that landscape, what what grew first were the red, uh, pink lilies. They come out of the, the dust, the ashes, and there's something really freakish about. Mm. I mean, you've even they're scanning the landscapes with the way the landscapes become what it looks like. It's quite... Everything about nature's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we have to stop now. Do thanks we? for yeah, okay, thanks well, for having thanks this for conversation, having us and and I hope people enjoy the film. Yes, it, it is you know confronting and heartbreaking at times, but it's also really inspiring 
to yeah, see it is. how people, you know, pull through all this. Yeah. Thanks yeah. For, for talking to us t- uh, today, Tony. You're welcome. Um, uh, Tony Jackson, his uh, f- uh, film Aftermath Beyond Black Saturday, Sunday the 3rd, February at 7.40pm on ABC, our ABC, and also ABC iView. Coming up next is Publish or Not. We'll go out with another Lou Bennett and the Sweet Cheeks. Salute. Saddle up. This is going to be a cowboy song. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.